Welcome to episode number 293 of Destination Linux, a video podcast show from the Text Digital Network. If you're new to the show, Destination Linux is a discussion podcast perfect for all experience levels. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Jill. I'm Michael. And I'm Ryan. And on this week's wonderful episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be interviewing Gardner Bryant, aka the Linux Gamer, about his journey with Linux. Then we will be discussing issues with GNOME's data collection ambitions. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and more coming up right now on Des Destination Linux to keep those penguins marching. This week's community feedback comes from Rotted. If you want to send in your own feedback, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash contact to get in touch or join the Tux Digital community forum by going to tuxdigital.com and clicking on the forum link at the top of the page. Rotted goes on to say, first off, let me thank you for introducing me to Bitwarden. I recently tried it, was blown away, even had loaded all of my passwords. I ended up signing up for a premium membership like you're supposed to. So thank you. Now, thank you for doing that. We appreciate it. And Bitwarden is absolutely amazing. I was writing in based on recent discussion, a few episodes about things like Firefox, Mail Relay, Block Fingerprinting, all of that. While I totally agree, they're great for privacy. They want to take a look at a different perspective that there's some negative to all of these blocking measures as well, in their opinion. Rodded says, when I'm not up at night loading all my passwords into Bitwarden, I work a day job in cybersecurity. Spend a lot of time investigating fraud and those type of things. I think it's important to remember that these same tools such as email or IP relays, proton mail, fingerprint blocking, all that can be used in malicious ways as well, which I think is an interesting thing to consider. We have tendency to be so lax on things until they're abused, and then we swing the pendulum so far to the extreme end. So basically saying, hey, these things are really good, but we can go so far that basically we create a big tunnel for criminal activity or something along those lines by having all of these options out there, which I think mm -hmm. brings an interesting question. Cause when you think about law enforcement trying to resolve certain investigations, very serious things, maybe involving families, kids, those type of, of stuff that goes on that are nefarious out there. Some of these technologies obviously are used by bad folks as well. They go on to say, anyways, thanks for the shows. Love the network. So in my mind, I think criminals are very advanced already. And so when you look at the idea, I mean, some of the drug cartels and stuff have actual submarines. They're going to find something and to, to utilize for their communication, for their delivery methods, whatever it is. And I think saying, let's open all of our stuff up to everyone, which I know wasn't your suggestion, Rodded, but if we were to go that route, because we want to catch more criminals, I think, yes, we would catch more criminals, but we would also potentially put a lot more innocent people in jail and things, which happens at a massive scale. Yeah. There are entire organizations out there dedicated to going back and looking at criminals who actually were never criminals, but because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. When you look at technologies like geofencing and those type of things, it creates an even broader ability for them to basically say, well, you were in this area during that time the crime happened and it just makes it so that we have more potential for mistakes in our legal system and other things coming up. Due process is there for a reason. I don't want to make police and other things jobs harder. I have a family I want to protect as well. I care about them and all those things, but privacy is very important uh, for everyone. I think having these tools and keeping companies from being able to track you Yes, criminals use it, but they were using other things before all this stuff became mainstream as well. They will always find a way. And so to me, the pendulum has not swung far enough because criminals are always going to find some way to use stuff for nefarious purposes. But as good law-abiding citizens, we have the right to protect our privacy and not be geofenced and data grabbed and all of this stuff from all of our devices 24 seven spied on. So I, I agree with the concept of what you're saying. I still feel like at this point, there's enough tools in law enforcement's hands uh, to do a proper investigation and solve these things that we don't need to give up our basic rights and privacy any further. That's just my take on it. I think this is a very important 
discussion point and very deep um, discussion to go through. I agree with most of what you're saying. So I just want to, you know, bring a little bit of lighterness to it uh, and say, you know, I, I, what you were talking about, how they're just going to find some solution anyway, and they probably already have one. And I think it's a, a good way to paraphrase the great words of Dr. Ian Malcolm, most notable for his expedition to the Jurassic Park. Criminals find a way. They find a way. So true. Yep. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I've heard of things, all kinds of weird things that they do. So I don't think that opening this stuff up would lessen crime uh, at all, honestly. <laughs> Doing a segue for this uh, is almost impossible. No, I got one for you. Ready? Okay. Okay. Speaking of keeping nefarious people out, did you know you could do a one-click droplet with DigitalOcean using OpenVPN? It's there as a one-click option. You do not have to go through all the settings and setting up a server and all that type of stuff. One-click marketplace with DigitalOcean. That's an awesome way you can keep nefarious people out of your system. Fantastic. And I'm just going to leave that part in and you're going to do the segue for me. Yeah. <laughs> and this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. You can get started with that awesome suggestion from Ryan about the VPN by going to do.co slash tux2022. And DigitalOcean, for those who are not familiar, is a cloud computing cloud platform service that has awesome features like the marketplace that Ryan was talking about. It makes it so easy to get started. And I love the marketplace. There's a lot of great things to love because you all also get stuff like having the ability to uh, use the portfolio of their compute, storage, database, and networking products that, that put the cloud infrastructure into the capable hands so you and your team can get back to doing what matters most, which is building world-changing apps that grow your business and setting up awesome droplets to be able to do so much great stuff. Because that one suggestion Ryan gave is fantastic, but there's thousands of different options and great software that you could set up droplets with from the marketplace. And DigitalOcean also offers you a predictable pricing, robust product documentation, uh, services that just developers love and we love, not necessarily developers, but we still love DigitalOcean with all the great stuff they offer. Plus, DigitalOcean gives you support at every stage of growth. Whether you have a team of one person or a team of a thousand people, DigitalOcean can help you get growing with their simple, powerful cloud computing. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. And it's actually better than free because DigitalOcean is going to give you a $100 60-day credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go get started with your that $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And one more thing, Michael, you got to, you know, I'm usually popping servers up and doing some crazy thing that... I involve you in usually at one o'clock in the morning or so. Yes. This is what it's like being my friend. It's not fun to be my friend. Being my friend <laughs> is very it, challenging. Sir. You said it, it. It's true. <laughs> like you, uh, I, Michael gets pinged like at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, three yeah. o'clock in the morning. You did that like two days ago. <laughs> I'm yeah. up doing something silly and crazy. Well, the last week, this past week, I was up doing something silly and crazy again. I wanted to set up a server to do session open chat. Session is the app we talked about last week being yeah. a privacy app like Signal that does not require a phone number. And you can run your own instance of it and create a group chat in session. You can use DigitalOcean, set up a $5 droplet to do so. At about one o'clock in the morning, I decided to drop a droplet and set one up and then ping Michael and say, hey, come test this with me, which Michael graciously did. And so we have it set up as a session open chat and we were playing with that feature. That's what I love about DigitalOcean. I can spin up a server, bother Michael in the middle of the night, make him play on the server with me, and then I can just destroy that server and go on to some other technology. That's what so makes I, it awesome. You're 100% right. And, and DigitalOcean is fantastic for that. Um, it's not fantastic to know Ryan for that. But uh, I was looking at my phone. I was trying to see what time of it was, but it only shows me the date. But his messages was like super late at night. It's like, you around? I'm like, what for what? <laughs> <laughs> He always knows it's something. It's some kind of testing of some server that I've set up in the middle of the night. It's what I do. So this week, we would like to invite Gardner Bryant to the show. Gardner runs a very popular and awesome YouTube channel, Gardner Bryant TLG, or the Linux Gamer. We met Gardner at scale and instantly became friends. 
Welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you on, Gardner. Yay! Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I Ever since I met you guys, I've been excited for this moment. So thanks. Oh. It's awesome. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with how you got into Linux. When did your Linux journey begin? Wow. When did my Linux journey begin? I It's always kind of been on my, like, I've always been into computers and Linux has always kind of been in my periphery. You know, I've, I've known about it and I've always found operating systems interesting. So, you know, when I was a little kid, it was Windows, it was Mac OS. I didn't really know about Linux until I started to get a little bit older. And I think that also had to do with the fact that Linux was not really a thing until like 93. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, my personal Linux journey, when I actually started using it, um, I think it was 2003 or four, something like that. Um, it was around the time of Ubuntu. I think my first Ubuntu distro was Jaunty, I believe. Yeah, Johnny Jackalope. Jack mm. Yeah. Jackalope. Yeah, that was a, quite a while ago. Uh, but since then, I mean, I started out, actually, I think my first distro was Fedora Core 6, and then I hopped on Jaunty, um, if that timeline makes sense. I don't remember exactly. But anyway, I was like 16, and I loved it, and I, I thought it was wow. interesting. And then eventually um, made it into my own, like, my my passion project. And that's, you know, how I started my channel and all the rest is history. If you think back to that time, though, when you were using macOS, you're using Windows, you love operating systems and this whole computer thing, what was it about Linux, do you remember, that made you go, hey, I want to explore this more? Because why wouldn't you, mm -hmm. you know, why did you not just go back to Windows or Mac where you had spent more time? What was it about Linux that stuck with you? Um, the, initially it was the fact that like, it was infinitely customizable. I mean, when I was young, my favorite thing to do was to mess around with window blinds. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Gaming. So you, you like window <laughs> blinds and then it came out for windows XP and it was like way more powerful. And I was like, so into window blinds. Like that was my, my thing. Uh, and then when, when I started using Linux, I was like, oh, it's just built in. Like yeah. Gnome yes. had it and KDE had it. When I was in high school, the the I was a freshman in high school and my homeroom was the library for some reason. And the library, I would always like there was one computer that was running Red Hat. And I remember just seeing that and being like, I love the way that looks. Cause I think Red Hat at that time was running like KDE one or two. And, and I was just like, this is cool. I just loved the interface. I've always been an interface nerd. And so that was, that was like my first inclination. And then there was like this air of superiority that, <laughs> that like, you know, I, I'm a Linux user and that makes me, you know, smarter. And I mean, that's who I was when I was a teenager, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and eventually it was like, and then it was just like, I've become accustomed to the way of Linux and I, Windows every time I use it now, frustrates the hell out of me. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing about Linux too. Like my kids, they see me utilizing it all the time. They've used it on their computers and things. But what was funny is the other day we found out that, you know, when teachers have kids get up and, and tell what their parents' occupation is, mm -hmm. my son got up and said, hacker. Because to him, he views <laughs> all of this stuff. And I'm like, well, did you tell him I'm like a good hacker? He's like, no, I just said <laughs> hacker. I'm like, all right, I can't wait for the uh, teachers to call us soon and yeah. ask about my occupation. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, and then you got to sit down with him and tell him the difference between hacker and cracker. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have a very popular YouTube channel. Absolutely love it. You have almost 100,000 subs. And we all create content. We all have some stories. In fact, me and you shared some stories when we were together at scale. Uh, yeah. But what is your favorite part of being a content creator? And then I'm going to ask you your favorite dislike after that. But first, let's start with what's your favorite part of being a content creator? Uh, it's it's the people. I mean, if it's meeting other creators or if it's meeting fans of the channel um, the, and that instantaneous feedback that you get, you know, I, I love that part about it. Uh, and especially in our niche, like talking yeah. about Linux and talking, I mean, I talk about the Steam Deck a lot. And so being able to like make videos where I'm just like, hey guys, you you guys, like most of the people who watch the videos about Steam Deck are not really Linux people. They're PC gamers who are coming from Windows. And for me to have, to be able to share my expertise 
my you know be like being able to be like hey by the way um this is how you copy files from your windows pc to your steam deck this is how you do x y and z because these people don't necessarily know and being able to help people that's like probably my favorite part actually yeah that's awesome yeah i i have to agree with you one of my favorite things that happened on my channel is when you first start out your youtube channel there's a lot of times mm -hmm. you get a lot of hate i mean you, you get it when you're big too but uh, you get a lot of hate, but there comes a point where you have enough fans that the fans start attacking the people who give you hate. And that was my favorite moment. Like when yeah. other people were taking care of the nasty people in the comments for me and I didn't have to reply or do anything with it. And that was like mm -hmm. the community. When you start having a community, I think is when it really starts to be awesome. But there's some downsides to being in the public eye. Um, I know you've ran into them. We all have, but what is what is your favorite dislike of doing content creation? Um, there's definitely there can be burnout, and that's kind of uh, you know like you feel like you've made every video that you ever could have possibly made, and you're like, what am I going to do now? You know, like you were saying, like there's there's some comments that uh, are often undeserved and crueler than they need to be whatever i mean i honestly i find those kind of funny now at this point but like when i first started and people were like lose weight fatty i was like oh wow that hurts my feelings but now it's like whatever you know yeah it's kind of funny i was kind of expecting you to like when you first started the answer of what do you like the most the people and the second what do you dislike the most the people, the people. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that would be fair to say yeah <laughs> just, just um, the small percentage of of trolls and mean people yeah it's it's oh, a ridiculously yeah. small yeah. percentage right it's like <laughs> what it's not even one don't realize is you could get a hundred compliments on a video and yeah. then but your attention whether you want to or not or you don't even care about the comment your attention still hovers around that negative yeah. uh, mm -hmm. to the point where i know a lot of content creators who no longer read comments at all on any of their stuff they refuse right. to and these are big name individuals that have massive channels and they just refuse to interact that way. And that's why they uh -huh. create things like patrons and other stuff where you're less likely to come across that for somebody who's paying for your content. Mm -hmm. And the people who do it are usually just the passerbys that aren't going to stay anyways. They just want to get mm -hmm. a reaction out of you and things. So it's an interesting dynamic being a creator. It's unlike anything, but I, I do appreciate the fact that it's given me much thicker skin. Like, oh yeah, you could say pretty much anything to me, and I've heard it already through a YouTube comment before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I got a com I got a comment one month ago that really stuck out to me because of how he was just he was like shooting, uh, trying to see what would stick, right? And yeah. he said, uh, "Get a haircut, get contacts, lose weight, start chewing gum, fix your posture, and calm down." <laughs> and I was like, I was like, whoa. <laughs> Oh, that's like a rapid fire troll right there yeah it's like a shotgun blast and i'm like eh, whatever you know I'm, I'm curious what the chewing gum is for like i don't, I don't, I don't know maybe know. my breath stinks i have no idea can they tell that through a video but see i i see comments like that see this is where my perspective comes in too because it's like i i see a comment like that and and i immediately feel bad for that person right because that's that's a person who is really insecure about who they are, how they look, what they think, how they feel, and they are taking that out on me. Yeah. Right. Because right. I'm a I'm an easy target. All you have to do is scroll down a little bit and type it in and then maybe I'll reply, maybe not. I saw Roll the dice on that one, but it's a great these point. guys it really doesn't hurt my feelings anymore when I get comments like that. Um it's more about like when you get like the comments that come from a place of like hatred. I won't go into it, but like I've got a lot of like auto mod words in my YouTube filters, like just to prevent stuff that is just not necessary. It doesn't belong in the discussion of my channel. And I, I don't apologize for that. Yeah, yeah. You, those, you have those are, to. Yeah, those I, are necessary I, at this point, really. There's a point yeah, where absolutely. you kind of have to, you know, distance yourself from that type of stuff. But I always try to picture the person sending the comment with mm -hmm. Cheeto fingers. I don't know why, but that always like <laughs> as they're typing <laughs> their Cheeto yeah. fingers, nailing the keyboard about how how much they hate me and they want me to die and all that stuff. I just I always picture that and it makes me laugh in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So much Cheeto dust that they can like chew it off, you know. What exactly. I'm saying? Yeah. So it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, let's uh, move on from from that part because I do think that that's interesting. And also your point about like kind of pitying them is a really interesting thing because I saw a video of somebody talking about that and it made me kind of think of like, yeah, it is it is kind of like a, a begging for attention most of the time, yeah. right? But, you know, based on your experience, what do you think is going uh, amazing right now as a Linux user and just in general for Linux? And where do you think that Linux needs, you know, still to have some work done for it? Mm, good question. I think Linux right now is is at a tipping point. I think we are, you know, with the Steam Deck uh, and and the public sentiment towards gaming on Linux being changed by that device. Um, I think that we are well suited for a year of the Linux desktop without like, and I'm not trying to be ironic. I'm not trying to be funny. Like I actually think that that's coming soon. Oh yeah. Um, I think <laughs> that as far as like desktop environments, right. Besides, um, you know, using like the, the consoleized version of Linux that is, that's on steam OS, right. Gnome is like forging ahead with some awesome UI paradigms. Um, KDE is actually, I think, catching up with GNOME uh, as far as uh, widgets and usability and user experience. And then there's the lightweight desktops that can that can resurrect old hardware with modern support for for devices for like mm -hmm. the web and stuff like that. So I am a huge proponent of desktop Linux. I think that it's on its way. I know a lot of people do, like crap on Chrome OS, but like the fact that Valve is bringing Steam to Chrome OS is huge because it's going to mean that like people who aren't using Windows will have access to Steam. And if they ever decide to put Linux on their machine or if they buy a machine that comes with Linux pre-installed, like the HP Dev 1, I think that that's going to be huge for them. They'll have that ready-made library of games if they're gamers. I, you know, the, the future is bright for us, I think. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah, interesting. And um, I didn't know that Valve was bringing that to Chrome OS. And I'm mm -hmm. I'm curious about how that's going to work. And the sense mm -hmm. that most Chrome books are really weak. And yeah. I'm surprised that that even be an option. Uh, but that's really interesting. And I like your point about the whole uh, Linux desktop thing. I do think that it is going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. But the Steam Deck has proven that it can be done and it can be like a high quality product that people look at and go, oh, wow, this is just fantastic. Because a lot of people are aware that it's Linux and a lot of people are not aware of Linux, but they all agree that the experience is just solid. When I yeah. first got the Steam Deck, I expected very little in terms of like, it's going to be like, um, you know, I, I expected it to be a good product. I didn't expect it to be blowing me away type of product. Mm -hmm. Like the interface was so well designed and so like the navigation functions were so good. So mm -hmm. I didn't, I, I expected it a little bit, but I didn't expect that much. And that was just kind of crazy. So in terms of what Linux has done, I think there's a lot of great points you made, but what do you think it still needs to, you know, get to that point to become the Linux desktop? Uh, there's two things. Uh, I, I know I, I, I complimented desktop environments on their usability and user experience but that still needs to continue to improve. And I mean, like it needs to, I mean, Windows user experience is actually pretty good, especially Windows 11 user experience. It, it's I think you're bad, the first person good. to have ever said that. <laughs> well, hear me out on that, right? Like, it, like there's a lot of ways that it's bad. Like the, 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 the ways that Microsoft are like trying to trick people into using their software over competitor software, that's a bad user experience. But when I'm, but what I'm talking about is like, and it might also be like that people are just used to Windows. And so the the improvements that Windows are, is making uh, for their existing users are resolving pain points. But what I think needs to happen is GNOME and KDE, like the big desktops need to really focus on usability, polish, and making sure that it's easy. Because uh, it's and especially easy for people who are not Linux users to switch paradigms, right? Um, the other thing that needs to happen for Linux in order for it to really take off is it needs to be pre-packaged and people just don't need to know they're using Linux. Like you buy a PC and it should come with Linux on it. I'm talking System76, but I'm also talking big vendors like HP and Dell and stuff. Uh, once that's the case and you buy a PC and the default option is Linux and then you have to pay more for Windows, 
that's when you'll see it really take off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Really good point. Gardner, why is open source an important movement in your opinion? And what does it mean to you? Uh, well, I mean, open source is important for many reasons. Uh, I think that it's probably an understatement to say that in order to ensure freedom on the web and ensure the right human rights in a digital context, open source is really the only option. Um, for you ask what it means to me, I think that the open source definition is spot on. You know, you have to have certain rights that uh, a license guarantees for end users. Also, open source shouldn't just be about what a developer can do with code, but it should guarantee the end users' rights as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to see, even in the gaming context, they're not mm. open source all the time, but sometimes they open source their code to allow people to make mods and things to a degree. Wouldn't mm-hmm. quite call it open sourcing, but they open it up so people can see it and modify it and play it. And that breathes. This developer creates this initial game with some levels, maybe some online thing. But once they open it up to the community, these games just explode sometimes. Yeah. And they do things they were never meant to be before. And mods can become more popular than the original game. Oh, and yeah. so you can you can see in a gaming environment, I'm kind of linking the two to like the open source stuff of what a community can do with something. When you when you mentioned specifically like, yes, what the developer initially made was cool. But when it's open source, we can all go in there and make it what we want out of it. And that is such a unique ability that's really nowhere else. And the places where you do see things open, magic kind of happens, like with video games. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the great ironies of like what I talk about on my channel is that I am an open source advocate and I love, Mm -hmm. I believe wholeheartedly in free software. And yet most of the stuff that I talk about is proprietary. If it's Steam or if it's the games that are you're playing, they're almost exclusively proprietary. There are very few open source games out there, like truly free software. Uh, and the ones that are out there are really like a niche thing, like they're meant for a very specific audience. Um, and then some of the other even more weird is that some of the ones that are actually open source have other encumbrances like uh, patents or not patents, but like uh, artistic like copyright. Uh, issues yeah. like uh, I think of like OpenRA and OpenRCT2 uh, and stuff like that, where they're using proprietary assets in an open source engine. Um, so for me, uh, it's so strange to be to be an advocate for free software and then to also be like to make that exception for uh, proprietary games and services like Steam. And then I think we should be demanding more out of the video game industry because. Uh, there's a lot of companies now that are already starting to see that open source is worthwhile, be it game engines like Godot, or if it's, um, well, Epic, Epic's uh, Unreal Engine isn't really open source, but they have the source available to right. developers. Oh, well, like FNA framework, right? Oh, yeah. Like uh, yeah. stuff like that. Like these, these kind of things, like people are starting in the game industry are starting to see that open source is, is super valuable. Um, but even like historically, when you have games like Doom and Quake that have the id engine open sourced and the when id open sourced id tech two or three, I don't remember which one it was, but when they open sourced that Valve took the code and it was living on into into source engine. I mean, and it was living on in um, Call of Duty engine up until very recently, there was lots of code from Quake still in there. It's so important. And then the legacies of those games too, just continue on because people are able to make it into what they want. So if the industry, I think the industry should just kind of move closer to free software to embrace it uh, because it's really important that people have rights to, and, and to modify and to use and redistribute. I almost fear though, that gaming outside of the engine world is going the exact opposite road. When you think about the cloud gaming and things that are being pushed where you're not going to have ownership, you're not yeah. going to have the mod community. In a cloud scenario, they can lock stuff down much easier. The paid for, like, where every little activity, oh, you want to play 15 more minutes of the game? That mobile piece, mm-hmm. if you look at the numbers for where game development studios are making the majority of their money, it's on mobile now. If you yeah. play a mobile app, 
I I don't know how anybody plays these mobile games. They make me want to <laughs> shove my head through a wall. Like it's yeah. like, oh, you want to buy more gems to keep playing, or you have, everything is or, more money, more money, more the money, more money. Ad. <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah, it just gets to the point where I feel like, unfortunately, developers are making the majority of their money in mobile, which is why you see them pushing it. And there's so mm -hmm. much money there, in fact, that I feel like gaming almost is going to go through this phase where it's going to get so much worse before it comes back and all of the generation is kind of like, hey, I mm -hmm. kind of miss the old days like where we could mod Skyrim and do all that type of stuff ourselves. That's my fear anyway, so I'm not saying it'll happen. Well, but. honestly, yeah. like gaming is kind of going back to its roots in that sense because gaming like video games started out in the arcade where it was make the game hard so you die a lot and it eats your quarters it's an interesting perspective yeah or literally cheats against you yeah yeah <laughs> it literally cheats against you and a lot of games are doing that now and it's i mean it as as uh gross as it is to say i mean it, you we have to as gamers demand that that stuff doesn't exist we have to say no to that kind of stuff because it's just uh, horrible. Unfortunately, there are lots of people who don't ever, who aren't interested in like educating themselves on these topics and just will play the games that come out from major publishers because those are the games that are available. Yep. So the next question is about distros. Everybody has to know what is your favorite distro? What's like your, their, your go-to distribution? Uh, my, my preferred distro is still Manjaro. Um, I, I like all the conveniences of Arch without all the encumbrances of Arch. Okay, uh, fair enough. That's an interesting perspective. Uh, I think that, that there's also another question. It has to be a follow-up to that one. What is your recommended newcomer be uh, beginner type distro? Oh, that's a good one. You know, if people have a Steam Deck, I think that's a great intro. Um, it's a little weird with the uh, immutable file system, but it's it's still pretty great. Um, as far as like if you're if someone's like looking to get into desktop Linux. I still think Ubuntu is pretty good, uh, but I haven't used it in a little while, so I don't know. Um, but I have heard that their desktop experience is, is solid. Um, Pop! OS is also very good. Um, and Yay. And <laughs> if you're adventurous and you want to dive in, I think Manjaro is pretty great as well. So uh, I think that's interesting. I, I Most of the time, uh, when I hear people who are fans of Manjaro, I like to ask them their, that question to see what is going to, yeah, sure, Ryan, like to see what the reaction is going to be to um, the beginner distribution. And I do like the fact that you put the if you're adventurous part. So you, mm -hmm. you, you kind of have to qualify when you say something arch based to a beginner, because if I've seen so many times where people make videos and say like, number one, Manjaro, like, no, it's not. It's definitely not because it, it, it can't be because it's based on arch. Like it, it inherits mm -hmm. a little, a, like a percentage of volatility. And mm -hmm. so I completely agree about the adventurous. And I think your other points are, are pretty good. Like uh, we've talked about this on a previous episode about Papa OS as being a really good option for people who have like new up-to-date hardware. And I have seen some videos recently of some people trying out Linux and seeing, seeing that Ubuntu's latest version has been pretty solid for them. So I think that that's a, another good one as well. I would also recommend that, that, you know, there are other ones like Kubuntu because it has KDE Plasma, which is the best desktop. Um, that is, we're going to have to disagree. I'm going to disagree with that. Thank you. Well, good, 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 good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What well, is the best desktop environment, Gardner, in your mind? Uh, Gnome, obviously. Oh, everybody oh, has. Really? Everybody's entitled to their own uh, mistakes. Man. It's fine. It's like we're uh, brothers or something. <laughs> Gardner, uh, I personally like Windowmaker. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Yeah, I, I'm in the old. He's school. like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question I love to ask our guests is about this. Imagine you get a new computer. You probably don't even have to imagine this because I know you get a lot of hardware like me. But let's imagine you get a brand new computer that shows up to your doorstep today and you're going to do a fresh distro install. Maybe you put your favorite Manjaro on there. What are the programs that you have to get installed first? Because if you're like me, mm. you've got a set of programs. You're like, before I start playing with this new beautiful hardware, I got to get my things set up. What are those programs for you? Definitely GIMP and Inkscape. I do a lot of my work in GIMP and Inkscape. Um, also, uh, Code OSS, which is like a free and open source uh, VS Code alternative, um, and then DaVinci Resolve. I put DaVinci on my computers because I I got to get work done, and that's a that's a proprietary one. <laughs> yeah, uh, like development environment stuff. So I I write a lot of PHP and JavaScript code, um, so I have like PHP engine mm. uh, running 
usually the uh, the PHP um, FPM. That's what it is. FPM. Okay. So oh. I, I have that running so I can debug my code locally and, and that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. And speaking of a proprietary software, Gardner, what's your take on those who believe you should only use open source all the time versus those with a more pragmatic approach? <laughs> Obviously, mm. you are <laughs> like me. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. My take is, I mean, you have to use what works, mm -hmm. especially if you have deadlines and, you know, you don't have time to screw around with fixing things that are broken. Because a lot of like open source is great, but sometimes some open source solutions just have more problems. Yeah. For me, it's like, like, like I said, I mean, I got to get work done uh, and I'm willing to compromise a little bit of uh, the, the freedom that you get for the convenience in some cases, not every case though. Like for example, I won't use uh, VS code because it, the way that Microsoft collects telemetry about you is just awful. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I use open source alternatives. And, and it's really an open source derivative and it, it lacks the telemetry. So it, for me, it's about educating myself on where, you know, what the best options are on in both camps, free and proprietary, uh, and then making an informed decision, uh, weighing against, you know, time considerations. Uh, you've, you, I mean, I'm sure all of us have heard like the, the, the thing that's like Linux is free as long as you don't value your time. And yeah, I've heard th that in, there are some instances where that's absolutely true, where like using Linux requires you to be your own sysadmin. And if you're not yeah. paying yourself a sysadmin salary <laughs> to, to maintain that, then you could potentially be losing money. And as a business owner, as someone who is working for clients and doing uh, work for uh, people outside of my company, you have to weigh those uh, considerations against actually using free versus proprietary software. I think it's more important to our growth in Linux when we talk about it being the next big thing to have more of an approach like that. Now, I've gone through phases even on this show for the years because I've not been in Linux that long, but through those years, I gone through phases where it was like I would use what I needed then I got really hardcore open source only mentality where nothing <laughs> I would run would not be open source. And then I kind of grew up and realized like, hey, there's times where my time is very valuable and the open source solution just frankly isn't there yet. Maybe Welcome it will be to the correct now, side of the bridge, But Ryan. it's not there yet. <laughs> but <laughs> I think from a user standpoint, you know, if we in the Linux community get somebody to switch their desktop over and then instantly start browbeating and we're like, why are you using DaVinci Resolve? You can use Kaden Live. Kaden Live is so much better. It's open source, blah, blah, blah. And they're just going to be like, you know what? Uh, I might just head back to that Windows camp. Uh, exactly. It's a little less crazy there. So yeah. I, I think you have to, like, it's awesome to push open source and tell people those things exist. But if they mm -hmm. don't want to use them, don't be, you know, sheriff of operating systems out there because I think it will uh, make more people probably leave than help. This yeah. Area. yeah, I think that's a great yeah. point. And also, like, Caden Live is fantastic, but it's great. Let's let's be honest. DaVinci Resolve does beat it in a lot of ways. So, oh yeah, like it, it's it's not necessarily about a uh, the open source versus proprietary in a lot of cases. And I'm I'm welcome to the right side, Ryan, um, of the bridge. Like, remember Always your whole the, <laughs> you, you're uh, on the no, wrong yeah. side of the bridge. <laughs> I, you literally just changed what side you were on, and now you're on the right. Okay, so anyway, it's my it's my bridge. I can do what I want with it. <laughs> I built it, therefore it's wherever I want it to be. <laughs> All right, fair my, enough. Yeah, uh, my history in the in the um. Uh, the film animation and film industry, we came from Unix. So it mm. was proprietary going into Linux. Mm -hmm. mm. So, um, and now, of course, that's opening up to open source. So that's, yeah. that's awesome. Like DreamWorks yeah. uh, open source their renderer, which is yeah, yeah fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Pixar has lots of open source software and, and Disney. Mm hmm. Awesome. And earlier, Gardner, you mentioned about using VS Code derivative. And so let's talk about a little bit about Microsoft and something that they're doing. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts about WSL? Is it good for Linux or is it horrendous atrocity? Ooh, I yeah. love the sigh. That makes me happy. <laughs> I feel like there's some filtering that he's yeah. not going to put on this answer. Oh. <laughs> All right. So I'm not like fully versed in exactly how WSL is implemented. I don't know. 
But I know that uh, if if I was going to be running Windows, I would want it. I would want Linux as the hypervisor and then Windows underneath because I want to be able to filter that stuff. I don't want it the other way around. I don't want Microsoft in charge of my virtual Linux machine. You asked if it's harmful or helpful to Linux. I think that there's a truth in both of those things. I think that it can be helpful in some ways. I think that Microsoft, uh, including WSL for developers to use, makes some sense. But on the flip side, I don't understand why they're doing it. And in, it gives them a lot of control over many, many Linux devices, virtual or not, you know? So I, it's, it's interesting. It raises a, an eyebrow or two when I saw it being announced. Um, and I don't really get it. I don't understand why it's there. Um, and then when you realize that Microsoft has actually published WSL specific code in the kernel to add DirectX uh, endpoints in Linux, like, but only for WSL, mm -hmm. that's concerning because that's the extend protocol that they are so famous for. Yeah. So I, I think that's interesting because like there is some pros and cons for sure. There, there's some benefits I and mean, there's benefits to developers because the people who are running you know, certain types of programming thing. Like, for example, last week we talked about how Python is Python, horrible yeah. on mm -hmm. Windows. Just setting it up oh, is a pain. Such a disaster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this way they could have WSL and skip all that. And I think that the the real, like, crux of what they're doing it for is to battle Mac. I think they're trying to basically keep people from leaving Windows, whether they go to Linux or Mac, because with Mac, they have those kind of benefits of developer side where the, the, the setting up Python and Mac is just as easy, really, as as Python, as Python Linux is. But, mm -hmm. well, Linux, by default, it's pretty much there already. But in terms of Mac, it's a very quick access to do. So I think that that's kind of like they're trying to use Linux to make Windows better to keep people from leaving Windows. And in terms of, like, the benefit to the Linux ecosystem, I've seen people argue that this is good going to like convince people like kind of give like a, an entry point to Linux. And I would say that there's nothing there. Like I don't see how anybody would consider that a good thing. But mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm pretty much, I agree with what you're saying, but I just think it is, a, it's an interesting topic that is endlessly debatable apparently. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of people that we've gotten comments from people saying WSL was their first entry into Linux and got them into Linux. So I know it happens. But I also agree with the other side that I think Microsoft's bigger plan is far beefier than we just love Linux. I, I think there's a lot there. When you look at their VS Code domination, GitHub domination, mm -hmm. like they're taking a lot of control over a lot of open source infrastructure. And I'm not sure, just historically, that I really trust that and what's oh. going to happen with that. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I just don't trust Microsoft. I don't. I like... I know like they're they're the biggest open source contributor on GitHub, but they also own GitHub. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, like, it, it's it's one of those things where you're constantly keeping an eye on it and you want to know what the ulterior motives are for what they're doing. And I, I hope they continue to do really good things with Linux and stuff, but there's always part of me going, ah, I don't know that I just opened my door to you. All right, yeah. so last question in our official interview is, in all of Linux, what has you the most excited hardware-wise right now? The fact that there are lots of vendors that are shipping PCs with Linux. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, I, I mentioned it earlier, I think that's critical for Linux adoption because you ask if you ask a, a tech Luddite what operating system they use, they don't even know they use Windows, you know? They'll say, oh, I have a Dell. And so people, it's not, Linux adoption is not about convincing people to use Linux. It's about convincing vendors to sell Linux machines. Um, and not just like boutique vendors, it's all vendors. Yeah. Um, Challenge accepted. Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> uh, in terms of excitement for hardware, though, I don't think you would have seen this one coming. The Steam Deck. Yeah. Uh, what? It's got to no be way. this thing. It's got to <laughs> uh, be this thing. <laughs> the Steam Deck is absolutely my favorite piece of hardware that I've ever used. 
And I know that there are like some PC gaming elitists who are going to say why it's underpowered and all this stuff. It's because I care about having fun. I care about having fun. I don't want to. I honestly, I don't consider myself a PC gamer. I have the reason that I used Linux at, to do PC games even before Proton was because it was easier than using Windows, right? Mm. Windows has all these stupid inconveniences about like prerequisites being installed, pre, you know, installing a new version of DirectX or whatever every time you launch a, a, a new game. Linux had the Steam runtime and it, it, it got rid of all that. Uh, you know, it, that's kind of back with Proton, but whatever. I don't know. I just, I'm a huge fan of uh, the Steam Deck and the way that Valve has like cleared up a lot of the issues that I've had with even Linux gaming. Mm -hmm. I have a deep affection for PC gaming, but if I'm going to actually play a game, I want to play it on a console and the Steam Deck is my favorite console. I love yeah. that mm -hmm. point, but Absolutely. there's another thing to dig deeper in there too that I see a lot, which is I've seen big giant streamers with 20, 30,000 people watch them and they cannot get a game to launch because some missing file or some error or whatever, but nobody goes, maybe they do, but they, they don't go, oh my God, I hate Windows. It's such a piece of crap because it has a failure there. They just go and they're going through the documents trying to find the solution and fix it. But when that same person comes over to Linux, I feel like they don't give it that same, everything has to be 100% perfect or else. Yeah. Like in Windows, it's constantly, you give it a pass. It crashes all, all the right. time. It has yep. issues where games don't launch all the time where you have to do workarounds. But if that same thing happens in Linux, people mm -hmm. get really upset with Linux over yeah. it. Well, we don't, I, we don't do it much favor, Linux, we, you know, because we're always like, oh, it's better. I mean, it's, it <laughs> is better. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. then you build up, I think we've all over the years built up that expectation that Linux is, is like perfect or, or it solves all the problems that you have with Windows. And that could be contributing to that expectation maybe. Yeah. yeah, I think I think the problem is, is that when people phrase it in a way of saying it solves all of your Windows problems. And mm -hmm. in a way, that's true. But they don't point out the fact that it also has its own problems that you're going to run into as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the truth is, everyone at one time had to learn how to use Windows. They need to give Linux a, a chance and realize they need to learn a new operating system and how it works. Right. Mm -hmm. Just like when they're going to an Apple or something, Apple has yeah. a whole thing where they move people over and show them how to get your <laughs> file manager, how to get in a setting, because it's not the same. But people mm -hmm. are willing to do that when they migrate over, but they don't seem to have that same patience yeah. with Linux. It's like they just expect it to um, do everything from. All right, Gardner, amazing interview, but there's this thing that's it's kind of a secret you didn't know about. It's called the lightning round. This is where <laughs> we're going to ask you really fa fast, rapid fire questions, really simple questions, but we want your answer as fast as you can, and we're going to keep rolling. I'm going to kick it off here. Gardner, greatest candy bar. I wasn't prepared for this, man. <laughs> uh, greatest candy bar. I would have to say uh, Reese's Fast Break. Nice. 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 Favorite programming language. Oh, favorite programming language. Honestly, PHP, not joking. Cool. Nice. Uh, same, actually. Next one is best movie that you've watched recently. Napoleon Dynamite. I watched it a lot two oh, nights ago. Oh. Good one. <laughs> 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 All right. Favorite music to listen to while coding, maybe, or doing some okay. intense work like that. Oh, geez, that's really hard. I love all music. Um, <laughs> I was listening to Jewel the other day. I love Jewel. Oh, man, that throws me back. Yeah. I used to yeah. have a lot of her records. That's awesome. Nice. So uh, the next one is a little bit not as super fast because I have to call Ryan out. The last time we had an interview, we had this. So we have this like kind of running joke about cupcakes versus muffins. This is lightning round. We and have time for Shush, shush, shush. We had, but last time we did an interview and Ryan cheated and he was like trying to like basically suggest which one you should Gardner, pick. Gardner, the so answer's cupcake. This one, no, this this one's gonna be we're gonna be it's gonna be completely fair. So the question is, cupcake or muffin? I honestly, I'm don't I don't like cake in general, so I'm gonna have to go with muffin. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Michael will win. <laughs> yeah. Muffins here, here, I got a lightning cupcake. round question for you, though. Uh, when you eat a muffin, how do you eat it? That's it. <laughs> I, I will, I'll take the bottom off. I'll eat the bottom and then the top because you say the best for last. That's just I me. actually, I, I'm kind of like 
doing at the <laughs> same time where I'll eat the the top and the bottom in like a you know in like a linear style. But okay. I also agree with the uh, bottom first, and then you save the best because you know the top of the muffin is definitely. Gardner the best. just threw a whole new dimension to this silly question. He yeah, sure I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I now, love it. now it's like, well, how do you eat it? Because that the matters. muffin is clearly the best one. Now it's a no. debate of like well, well, how you eat the muffin. Muffin's <laughs> just an ugly cupcake. That's it. <laughs> and and the don't last ask one. me. Oh, don't ask me how I make hamburgers if you don't want a huge discussion. Cheeseburgers, oh, I should okay. say. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> and the last question, Gardner, is what's the best laptop to run Linux on? <laughs> the best laptop? I have lots of laptops, and I think my favorite right now is the HP Dev 1. I nice. knew you were going to say that one. Sweet. It's so yeah. good. And he was shoving it in my face at the conference. He was like, look what I yeah. have. You don't have it. Yes. And he was running up and down and jumping. Okay, he uh, didn't do that. But in my mind, record, <laughs> like that. you the were in it. my room. Oh. We were recording a video oh. and you kept looking over at it with envy glaring <laughs> out of your eyes. So it's okay, that, that might be more of the true story. I don't. Remember. I love how the, the he just happened to have one, and in your brain he was flaunting it. Yes, it, even though it was well, sitting there just copying files in my mind, he was jumping up and down, shoving it in my face, in my in my imagination. Yeah. It's an act of imagination. Aww. Well, Jay was there too, and Jay had a Dev One as well. So I, I, mean, yeah. I can I can forgive you for having a, <laughs> yeah. such. It a, is a beautiful laptop. Great choice. <laughs> And Gardner, um, as we're going through our, our closing, I just, just want to let you know, I've actually been watching you since the be beginning, since the early days of your game reviews of oh, Borderlands wow. 2 and Bit Trip Presents Runner 2, Future Le oh, yeah. Legend of, of Rhythmillion. That's one of my favorite games, too. That's so good. <laughs> so, And you have such a nice and friendly way of presenting, and, and you're just so easy to watch. And when I met you at scale, you, you know, are exactly the same person I, in IRL. To me, uh -huh. like a big teddy bear. You're so sweet and kind uh -huh. and gentle. Thank you. You're going to make me cry. Jeez. <laughs> she does that. Well, she does that. It happens to us every week. So nice. we told, everybody told you to stop being nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, it was, and it was such a joy to meet you in real life. <laughs> yeah, it was and, great meeting you too. <laughs> and now, you know, when I started podcasting way back when at Linux Gamecast, everyone asked if I was related to you because of my last name. <laughs> <laughs> And the answer yeah. is, we all have to we, know. Yeah, yeah we, we can know. definitively say, uh, not that we know, but we're not yeah, related no, as far no. as no. we <laughs> But we're related together in the same wonderful Linux We're family. in a Linux open source so, family. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah. So again, thank you, Gardner, for you know hanging out with us today. And we encourage everyone to su subscribe to his Gardner Bryant TLG YouTube channel, you're welcome back anytime, Gardner. And tell our listeners where else people can find you. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Gardner underscore Bryant. I, I have a, a an Instagram that I never post to. It's also <laughs> Gardner underscore Bryant. Perfect. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Check out his YouTube uh, channel, Gardner. We're going to do more things in the future because I felt... We yeah. had this instant bond when we hung out. It's just, yeah. it's been awesome Agreed. having you on. It's been awesome getting to know you. Thanks for coming on the show. During a holiday weekend, by the way, which I know yes. you work really hard and agreed to still come on a holiday weekend to do this with us. You're awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've had a lot of fun. Yay. Like the community member that sent us the email thanking us for talking about Bitwarden, you can join in as well. We want you to get started right now with your free account by going to bitwarden.com slash tux. That's slash T-U-X. A password manager software allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides you the tools to store all your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords, and now usernames, because think about it, if somebody has your username, they've got half of the credentials they need to get into your account. So use different usernames, just like you use different passwords on every account. How do you manage all that? Bitwarden, Bitwarden is the way to do it, and you can do it on all your devices, web browser, mobile apps, desktop applications, even the command line. That's when you know your boss, when you use the command line version there. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your device, so you know you're the only one with access to your data. I think you're going to want to check out their premium account, though, because it comes with a bunch of other features, and it's only $10 per year. And through all this inflation, year. all of these years, all the stuff that's happened the last few years, it still remained the same price, and they've grown exponentially during this time. 
but they're just such an amazing pillar of the community. Bitwarden.com slash talks for $10 a year, gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step logging with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, Priority Customer Support, so much more. Get started right now. Let them know we sent you there by going to bitwarden.com slash T-U-X. Oh, noes. Ryan has given me another horror game to review. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and this one involves a shark, which brings back my nightmares of seeing the movie Jaws when I was a kid. And honestly, encountering sharks was a very real concern to me because of swimming in the ocean and surfing all my life. And yeah. yes, I did have to avoid sharks several times, and it was not fun. So, so Jaws is one of the scariest movies to me of all time. And this game this week is Solitude Underwater. And yes, there's a great white in it. <laughs> Dude, I, nice. saw the, I picked a perfect horror game. Didn't this is Zeb, a perfect one. Zeb joined us in our patron <laughs> chat last week and threatened mm -hmm. saying, Jill, do not put up with Ryan's nonsense <laughs> yeah. with picking bad games. And yeah. did I take Zeb's advice? Clearly not. I still picked a game you would not like. Well, yeah. in a, in a maybe way, on purpose, accidentally I mean, on purpose. I, I think you. I think you didn't really know how well it was like fitting, but it, it is definitely like I watched this video, and just for for those who are wondering, if you're watching the video version, I will not be showing the demo of this game uh, because it was uh, it was a little freaky for me. So yeah. uh, <laughs> so you're welcome. <laughs> Well, fortunately, Solitude Underwater is a short horror adventure game that is scary, but it is actually very, very well done. So I can see why Ryan picked it. Nice. <laughs> and the story is there's uh, two treasure hunting brothers that are searching for sunken treasures off the coast of South Africa. And, of course, they find themselves immersed in one catastrophe after another and get trapped in a cage deep inside shark-infested waters. <laughs> oh, gosh. <Freaky>. Nightmares. <laughs> and, honestly, I thought the voice acting and the pace of the game, which really adds to the overall creepy atmosphere, was wonderful. It it. It is a very good game. I, I played it for about 40 minutes, and then it got a little bit too much for me. <laughs> so, but I do want to I'm trying to ruin it. Jill's happiness by yeah. making her play all these horror games all the time. <laughs> and it actually, um, the nice thing is, is I did uh, play it on my Steam Deck. Uh, you actually do have to access the software keyboard quite a bit and hit tab to hear the games, uh, the voice dialogue in the game. So I actually recommend an external Bluetooth or dock keyboard to play it on the deck. But Makes that's sense. how I played it. I had a, a Bluetooth keyboard, and that worked out very nicely. So, <laughs> yeah, Ryan. So he picked a game that so many people <laughs> have uh, fears of because of the movie Jaws. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I, I know Jaws I feel like created... the next, next week's game is going to be about some scary clowns or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Jill said, oh gosh, now I got to find one. Good idea, Michael. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, if you're looking for a good scare to prepare yourself for the holidays right around the corner, check out Solitude Underwater because it's free to play on Steam. And yes, that's nice to have a free game. <laughs> I think this is like one of the biggest fears. You see it in the movie genre now of people being left in the ocean or shipwrecked in the ocean uh, when they're going on a dive trip and other things. And I've done, I'm a scuba diver, so I've done trips all around the world, sunken treasure dives and those type of things, which are fascinating. They're amazing. But there's this one moment that sticks with me in Australia when I was diving. And we, we were going on a ship dive. What is happening with you two? Like, I'm trying to tell a story and you guys are over there miming. Like, like did your brains like disconnect or what? what is happening? And Michael's on water. mute, so here's, nobody even knows what the heck he's talking about. <laughs> are you guys? In, are we doing a play, water. and you guys are the visual for the story? Or what? What? Is I, don't happening? Know. I don't know. I don't know why I started doing that. Um, <laughs> well, speaking uh, of the cliff when you're diving, that, that's where I was going. Is we were doing a dive for a ship, and there was a cliff that went off into the depths of the ocean. So you've got you've got the bottom, and all of a sudden you swim out, and there's nothing. And the dive master had us cut our lights and when we cut our lights it That's was terrifying. so absolute dark once we went off that cliff that oh. i could not tell which way was up 
And so we, when the, when the town ting on the tank went off, which let us know to turn our lights on again, because we had talked about it before we went on the dive, I was upside down thinking I was swimming up. So I was actually swimming deeper into the ocean, Uh, but I was, I thought I was swimming upward. That's (laughs) how dark it Uh. was. And that to me, when you think about like that, this to this day creepy. creeps me out like nothing yep. else, like just absolute darkness. If you've never experienced it like that. So games like this in the ocean and mm-hmm. stuff, I think it brings out all of our fears because it's not our natural <laughs> yeah. environment, you know? Well, I'm, I'm going to say something I shouldn't admit, but if I'm in a, a lake or something, I know that there's no shark in there. But as a kid, when I watched Jaws, it, it freaked me out. Yeah. And then I'm in a lake. <laughs> And if I just, if something just touched my foot, I'm going to freak out and get out of the lake. <laughs> yeah. So check this out. Solitude underwater. It's a lot safer in a video game. You can come yes. back to life. <laughs> you can survive this one totally, totally fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just keep coming back, respawning. Our software spotlight's not as scary. It's Conversine. Conversine is an open source and cross-platform batch image processor that allows you to convert, resize, rotate, and flip an infinite number of images. I wonder if they actually tested infinite number of images with a mouse click. Conversine supports more than 100 image <laughs> formats, including DPX, EXR, GIF, JPEG, JPEG 2000, Photo CD, PNG, PhotoScript, SVG, TIFF, and many others. It's also conveniently available as a flat pack. So if you find yourself needing to change the format or resize a bunch of pictures, maybe you're going through family photo albums, all the digital photos, trying to organize them in things, this is one to check out, Conversine. So we have a really interesting tip of the week to talk about because it's a video that Ryan has has published on his YouTube channel, and it's about a topic that is, well, very annoying that he found a solution for. So if you've never heard of this concept called Mix Minus, it's one of the most annoying things to get set up because you're using different types of uh, audio captures and audio inputs and audio outputs and all this stuff. And Ryan spent hours trying to figure this out. Hours? Let's be honest. It was days and weeks. Yes. We went on. I was buying hardware after hardware at different mixers mm-hmm. because we have a very unique mix minus situation we're trying right. to do as well it's not like just trying to get a caller in and doing that type of mix minus we're trying to get a whole group of people in at the exact same time so it was a very different kind of mix minus and when i talk about bothering michael at two o'clock in the morning to make <laughs> this happened up, a lot for this a <laughs> lot for mix minus a lot yeah and it's interesting because we have to mix minus going both ways so it's it's a, mm-hmm. it's way more complicated but the ryan's video it talks about how we do it on the show and it is well how he does it so I, don't even, well done. I, I didn't even know how he really did it until he made the video so thank you for that but it's a really good video so check it out you can learn a lot about pipe wire and uh, q jack control and he shows you how to basically create this uh combination of different inputs and outputs of audios so you and it's also just simple you know click and drag and that sort of thing if you haven't checked it out definitely do that you'll find a link in the show notes for this episode to get to that video and ryan i I just thought it was funny because when you you said you were going to make a video i was like oh that's that's fantastic and then i thought i don't even know how he does it i have to watch this video (laughs) yeah what happens if he's no longer around the train factor so now if i if something ever happens i can't make a show you guys can still pipe people in because it's so simple it it really is fascinatingly simple and i want to say this as well it is simpler on linux than it is in mac and windows by a thousand times. Like it's not even, this is one of the things where Linux does it better than anything else. And I think if audio people saw this video more and realized how simple it is on Linux because of Pipewire, I think Linux will have a whole nother series of people coming into the Linux ecosystem from it because it's a very common question. There's a lot of people starting things like podcasts and stuff, and it's a pain in the butt to get right. Unless you're an audio engineer. Audio engineers Mm -hmm. are probably listening to this like, I do it every day. I'm yeah. sure, but for regular people, yeah. it doesn't make sense. So that's why. I My favorite part about it is that your video kind of just shows exactly what you need to do. Whereas other videos we were looking, when we were trying to figure it out, you were sending me videos of like, uh, like he showed me an example of someone who's like, like go through all this process step by step and they get to the most critical piece. And then like, and then you just do, you just mix minus it and you're fine. Like that, that's not <laughs> helpful. Show. 
And I like, Ryan, that you use the uh, graph. Usually when I'm using QJack, I don't use the graph just because visually it's it's hard to, for me that to makes see. Sense. Yeah. Uh, but I, lo- I, I like that you showed that. <laughs> yeah. The graph awesome. is very cool. It's a very cool feature. Mm-hmm. So that's it. The end of our show. A huge thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. We're here every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern live at tuxdigital.com slash live. The best part is everyone is invited to watch the recordings of Destination Linux each and every week. And we can't wait to see you in the chat. And if you miss the live stream, you can still check out the unedited versions if you become a patron. Plus, you get to join us during the pre-show and the post-show, as well as, well, during the show, too. Because you can watch live inside of the virtual stadium, the 60,000-square-foot virtual stadium, where there's all sorts of great perks in the stadium. I mean, I don't really know because it's virtual and... We're just making it up. Whatever you could imagine. Whatever you can think of, that's there, except for (laughs) sharks, not sharks. Yes. There are no (laughs) sharks in the virtual stadium. (laughs) So, but there is a patron only post show that happens every week after the show. So, so join us by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute to sign up and become a patron. Also, if you'd like to support the show, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash store and you can get uh, some uh, all kinds of cool swag. We got shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, coasters, so, so much great stuff, even hats. And speaking of hats, now this hat is the one that Ryan is wearing is uh, not on the store since it's not our hat, but it is a fantastic hat. So I wanted to join. Oh, look the, at that. Your yeah. red hat. There we red go. Red hat love. There we red go. Red hat hat. It's all red hat. <laughs> <laughs> so go to tuxdigital.com slash store to get all great all sorts of great stuff. And make sure to check out all the wonderful shows here on Tux Digital. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and our virtual Linux user group, Linux Saloon. So everyone head to TuxDigital.com and subscribe to all these awesome shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. And everybody have an awesome week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Love. See you next week. Also, you say that muffins are ugly cupcakes. Look at that thing. That looks That's amazing. That's ugly. Look at it. It looks, it looks amazing. like it's dirt. It just looks like dirt. It looks amazing. <laughs> Pulled up a tree root, you know? It ran it through a garbage looks disposal. Awesome. That looks delicious. It's, it's a banana nut bread. Did you put some pink frosting oh, on God, that, right. make it a cupcake. Now we're Did talking. you bring enough for the whole class, Michael? Gardner's blog post is going to be like, um, it was really interesting <laughs> interview on Destination Linux. It went fine until Michael decided to rudely not provide a muffin to a guest. I Aww. feel like it's the minimum thing you could do is send a guest a muffin uh, for coming on the show <laughs> so, on the holiday. So Gardner, so are, are you saying that the muffin experience right now is a similar experience that Ryan had with that laptop? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, absolutely. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> well, there's and one what you don't even to... know. What you don't even know is banana nuts are like my favorite type of muffin too. Oh, <laughs> yum! So rude. My bad. <laughs>